You're listening to the Speaker Society podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. My name is Alex Feldman, a first-year business major at Western University, and I sit down with professionals to talk about their journey, what lessons they have learned, and what advice they have for students and other professionals alike. Enjoy. Hey guys, we're back to another episode. I got sorry I've been uh, haven't been posting too much, but you know we're back now. Um, we got a really special guest, and uh, he he has a, an awesome introduction for you. He I already heard it, so he's gonna he's gonna introduce himself a little bit. You know, talk talk about if you can, Matthew, about like kind of where you started, uh, where you're at now, and uh, what's maybe even plans for the future. I know that's like a two hour question, but you know, <laughs> just just kind of in short form, like little little keep key events would love to know kind of your journey in business sure thank you for for having me alex i think what you're doing is great initiative and um so um my story right now i'm a my name is matthew gamash i'm a co-owner and a chief sales and marketing officer of uh, zero db zero db is a brand of functional drinks we call it next generation functional drink because it was developed uh, it's probably one of the first uh, a functional drink that was developed in partnership with neuroscience. So we got real neuroscientists. So there's real serious science behind our drink. And our drink is designed to help relieve stress and anxiety with all organic and natural plant extract. Um, so that's what I'm doing right now. I've been with the company full time since September last year, but I've invested and was an advisor to the company for the last two years from inception, from an idea coming out of our neuroscientist lab to developing the branding, packaging, and the go-to-market strategy. So all that. While I was advising and um, what I was advising ZUDB, I was still working for Big Corp. Prior to that, I got a 16 years experience in big CPG in brand management. I started at Kraft Foods, uh, did that for nine years worked for various brands and then moved to McDonald's for three years where I launched, among other things, um, all the breakfasts. And when you see the morning McWrap in the restaurant, that's my idea, that's my launch. From, from idea to, to launch, it's amazing. It's an amazing company to work for. I've learned a ton. And then I took that learning and then moved to Hershey where I managed the Reese's brand and the Henry brand. And I claim to fame at, at uh, well, the, the initiative I was most proud of that my with my days at my years at, at Hershey was the launch of Henry 425 uh, during the uh, legalization of marijuana. We had a huge success with the 425, which was the chocolate bar to eat five minutes after 420. Oh wow! I never knew that. Oh, <laughs> <That was laughs> you learn good. something every day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it was an amazing. Pro. It was a, a a product innovation. It was a promotion using a product innovation. Uh, it was very successful at the time. Oh, that's awesome. Well, thanks for the, you know, the rich history. Um, I would say, I just want to, you know, kind of curious. So what, where'd you go to school? Did you go to school? Uh, did you go to school for business? That's my question. So like, was business kind of your, your always your pathway or you kind of, again, had that like little circular path through a lot of things and then you kind of stumbled your way on business? Well, business is all I knew because my parents were uh, in business. They own a they own a business. They were working together in that business. So, 
I've never had parents going to a regular job. It was business and dinner time was business meetings. So it was <laughs> kind of steeped in that environment. My grandfather, on my especially on my mother's side, was a businessman too. And they and his brother were all businessmen. So I was uh, not running short of examples of people going into business, which was a blessing and a curse because I was also probably way more conscious than anyone else about the risk and the stress behind owning a business. So it wasn't all the aura and the glamour of what you would see in business news of people making it to riches. No, I, I, I was on the roller coaster with my parents, which is a typical of any entrepreneur. You get on the oh, yeah. ups and downs, a few near-death experience. When you hear on the news that a recession is hitting us, if you're an entrepreneur, you know before anyone else, because <laughs> the entrepreneur is owning business, uh, the cannery in the coal mine before the recession becomes official, you feel it. So, uh, you know, there was an economic cycle in my family, we were feeling it. So I, it made me an, a natural entrepreneur from my experience, but I also a, a very risk averse, at least in, initially, uh -huh. uh, from the start of my career. So I went, I wanted to do business. I wasn't. I was scared of running my own thing from the beginning. I, I, but I, so I went to school. So I did business school. I went to McGill University. Did my business degree in uh, in marketing and finance. So um, I wanted to do marketing, but finance was some, something that I felt like I needed to have. And uh, so I did that. Or actually, at one point, was thinking of going full on in finance. So I made finance my major. And I kept marketing because mar marketing was my, my, my love. Like naturally, I love marketing, but I didn't know if I could make a living. I had a good job in marketing and you get stuck. I don't know if it's like that in your generation. I feel like now you guys are not living the same thing, but they were, felt like they were fewer paths. Like everyone would take, we're thinking of only in business, mainly two paths, maybe a third one, but it was either you're going consulting or you're doing investment banking and you know, the stream of accounting and going to big accounting firms. And marketing, at least in my school, wasn't really like here's some spotty career path. I was always kind of concerned about it. So but to be honest, honestly, sorry to interrupt, but honestly, for us, it's marketing has really, I think, joined those two. Um, I would say because I'm, I'm like I started to get into sales very early. Um, I would say sales is now the new marketing in your position. Like no one wants to go to sales. It's kind of like the the like the patchy, not really solidified uh, part that no one really because there's. I, I had a, I heard a stat somewhere that apparently only five percent of schools in all of North America offer sales courses, in, in and it's incredible because honestly it's very important. Um, and all, for that exact reason, only like. I would say I have, a, I have a buddy that just graduated um, Ivy Business School. Um, he said only in, in his class, only two people were interested in sales, him and another guy. And they're both friends. Uh, everyone else went to consulting, investment banking and marketing. Uh, so I think that now sales is that like like either a fallback thing where people like think that if something else doesn't work, they fall back on it. Yeah. But usually that doesn't work because they just realize that sales is actually hard as hell. And uh, oh, yeah. it's, 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 it's not really a fallback. It's more of like the people that went into it originally and had like a passion for it. They're like so high up already that like yeah. the people that fall back on it, they're having a hard time. That's why there's like a big problem in the sales world. Uh, yeah, it's, it's funny because I had that conversation with my wife. My wife fell into that trap like I did initially where she wanted to 
she was going after the definition of success before graduating business. Oh wow! And she went after investment banking. She got she did that for a little bit. I wasn't her at all. Like he wasn't. That wasn't her passion. That wasn't her. That wasn't her. It wasn't fitting with who she was. And she forced she forced herself to go through that until. And then she went to banking and strategy and all those things, which she's always a hard, always been a hard worker. She still is. And then when she met our neighbor who was in sales in LinkedIn, and then we, she basically, she learned what it was and it felt so natural for her to do that because some, you know, some people are, you'll see it at school. You see the people who are the natural people connector. They connect uh -huh. easily. They build relationship easily. It's just, it's just their own personality. You're just the prime prime. That's a natural talent to be in sales. And I don't know why people frown upon sometimes that career. It's probably one of, especially when you do SaaS and software, it's probably one of the most lucrative job you can make, ironically. Um, <laughs> yeah, incredible. no, I'm sure. It's because incredible. you can technically make more than the CEO automatically because oh, you make yeah, commissions. Absolutely. Most of them make more than their, their managers and their C, absolutely. So it's, uh, it's, it's a it's a it's a well kept secret for some reason. It's also a so such a valuable skills in anything you would do anywhere you would go, and in, and when you go for a company, you know we we talked about that we talked about that in even a big organization when start when things starts to go uh, downward, we always naturally recentered the resources on we called it rock facing resources. Mm -hmm. Yeah, facing is what it means. Uh, activities that are closest to revenue generation and that's there's nothing more rock facing than sales it's the last thing you're gonna you're gonna cut in an organization because you're the one bringing in the revenue so uh yeah it's been over for so long and then to have a renewed focus in uh, in the university and get more people interested in that would be a great thing because you know people are missing out i think i think it's also like um people are missing kind of the importance of uh like sales actually I'll, I'll tell you a little story before i kind of go into that so i i just came back from israel um i went to israel uh i actually i'm jewish so for me it was like a big thing i i didn't see uh my family there i've never met them but you know i met them for the first time in 19 years which is hilarious because i'm an uncle so i saw my niece for the first wow. time and wow. she's literally like here. She's 13, I'm 15. So it's, it's uh, sorry, I'm 19. So it's like, it's completely, it's weird. Uh, but anyway, um, and in Israel, it's like a different type of life. Like life is different. Business is different. Um, and in, in Tel Aviv, especially, there's a huge tech market. Yeah. But everyone goes to the tech market. But I decided to go to the actual market, like, you know, the Middle Eastern, you know, European market where it's like just bustling shops, millions of people running around. That was my goal to go there. And when I went there, I've never seen anything like it. I, I genuinely I called my friend. I was like, if you want to be good at sales. Go to the Jerusalem market, go to the Tel Aviv market. <laughs> I, I, you feel like you're there, you're one out of a million people in there. Like, there's yeah. you just like you have no breathing room. But every single vendor, as you're passing by, makes you feel like you're taken care of. They might want every cent out of your wallet, just like every other salesman. Yeah, but they don't sit, they don't sit 
they take care of you. They come, you come into the store, they take care of you. They pour you some water. They, um, like they take care of you. They do everything possible to make your experience in the store uh, awesome. And that's what a salesman's supposed to do, theoretically. You come, you come for some, like, let's say an alcoholic beverage. You go for an alcoholic beverage. They give you a little juice to, to, to you know, mix it up a little bit. You know, they, it's, like, it's like they help you out. And at the same time, they're making sales. Like they're so welcoming and so nice and they, they come to you. You don't come to them. Yeah. Like here you go to a store and it's just a bunch of 17 year olds. Like, Oh yeah, you want this? They're, they're throwing things at you kind of thing. They're getting paid like $18 an hour and they're like complaining and da, da, da. <laughs> they're, they're getting paid nothing. And they're running up to you. Like you're walking by and they run up to you. They talk to you. They don't like drag you in. They just, they talk to you, they make you feel welcome. And you're like, oh, wait, maybe I should check this out. Like this yeah, is absolutely. like this. So like, that's what kind of like what, what I wanted to share in terms of sales. And the key point that I wanted to share is how nice they are. And that's, I think, one thing that people miss in business. It's like how nice you have to be. And people think that, you know, because of these movies like Wolf of Wall Street and all those other ones, uh, people are like business. You have to be mean. You have to be like, strong you have to be this figure that like rings everyone's throats otherwise you can't you can't be good no i think that that's one thing that sales teaches you because you're literally dealing with people all the time yeah. you have to be so nice you have to be give 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 never take you have to be like you have to be open right and that's kind of what i wanted to share sorry for the tangent that's a, it's, it's not my great, podcast but it's a great observation and something that i'm learning from my business partner gary gary leblanc um he, uh, he's got that skill, uh, he's super nice. And I always have that reflex of thinking to sometimes you're too nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, obviously. But, you know, I, I see the impact of it as in there's so many resources and people that are coming his way and offering things and sometimes do things for free, um, access to resources that we otherwise wouldn't have access to just because people want to help him and they got sympathy for him and they want to help. And that's coming from his approach to people. It's not, it's, he's not at all transactional. People tend to be very transactional and they just focus on what they're trying to get from someone and just think, always think about doing everything to get what they need to get from someone, from that person. But, but if the, in reality, the real focus should be try to, under, to understand and, and, and get to know the person before anything else. Mm -hmm. So what would you say is like the most important lesson you learned from like working at McDonald's and like starting your own, you know, your own like McRab? Like that's, that's crazy. Like that's a big thing. That's first of all, it's huge ego boost. But like, how did you think of that? Like, how did you like, how, what's the thought process of like you, you like, I, I can't even imagine if I was put in the McDonald's position, what could I possibly add? Like, yeah. like, it's just all good, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's so, so marketing is 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 data driven in a lot of mm -hmm. ways, um, and then in other ways, you got a you got an advantage as you're a consumer too, you know. Yeah. yeah. And chances are, as a consumer, what you would like to see at a place that you think is missing is going to be missing for a lot of other people. Mm -hmm. um, but the challenge in big organization and as well as living at McDonald's is such a well-oiled machine is, but it's true in other organ big organization. People are, there's paradigm. 
being formed, beliefs, uh, things that can be and cannot be. And uh, there's some things that sometimes when you're more entrepreneurial that you wanna, you seeing different things and you know, you're not stuck in that paradigm, but when you question things that people has been thinking all, all that time and then accepted as truth, there's a reaction and it's, yeah. And it's, it's really hard to get through it. I remember when I had the morning McRap, when I said, okay, let's go all the way sausage. Let's put the hash brown in it. <laughs> and then, and then there was some execution in the UK that was similar to that, that I thought was great. So, uh, and but they were saying, no, people nowadays want to eat healthy. <laughs> so we only no, no want to eat healthy. Want it. It's like, <laughs> they only wanted healthy stuff to, to launch. That was their whole focus. So that's not why people are coming to McDonald's. You know, they want the gut feel. They want more of what they like. Yeah, no, and, that's, not, that's not true. Exactly. And it took me a long time to convince them. And, and the only way I could convince them is that if I would launch a morning McRap that was healthy as well, so a second one. And oh. uh, we in a kale and feta uh, morning McRap with, with scrambled eggs and it's a good sandwich but you know it ended up selling a tenth of what the other one sold <laughs> yeah. but but it, I, one of the biggest advice or realization that I have mm-hmm. as an I'm calling I've always been calling myself an entrepreneurial entrepreneur mm-hmm. intrapreneur so being an entrepreneur inside big organization mm-hmm. it always feels sometimes like a little bit of a black sheep because they, I naturally don't think the same way. Uh, yeah, I no, I totally get that. The same way than people in those big organizations. Um, the big the one single advice for people who were about to get into that trail and would live the life in, in, in big organization would have the enthusiasm of changing everything, uh, yeah. creating a huge difference. There is a real sequence on how and when to do things in an organ- in big organization. Mm-hmm. The three step. First mm-hmm. step, learn the culture. So you understand how people live in the organization, the belief is in the organization, the informal and informal uh, inf- powers and influences inside the organization. You learn all that. You don't question it. You don't try to change it. You just learn what it is. You soak it in. And then once you know all that, you win in that culture. So you play it with the culture, within the culture, and, and, and earn success in that culture. Mm-hmm. And once you understood, you were winning in that culture. Now you're in a position to influence and change the culture. Mm-hmm. The biggest mistake I've done in my career was trying to change a culture. And sometimes you set in traps. You, they're setting unconsciously set traps for you. Like I was hired at McDonald's as a C, ex, as an as a CPG guy, which is not a whole lot of CPG guy, ex CPG people at McDonald's are more coming from agencies typically, mm-hmm. agency. And they would say, "Hey, we want you in, so because we want to change the culture, we want more of your knowledge and your approach." That's not fair. Like when you hear that in an interview, it's a red flag. You go, "Okay." A, you never do that. If you enter, you're never going to be the agent of change. You, you say yes, yes, yes. You go in and you double down on understanding the culture and playing with it, the culture. Because if they tell you that you're different than the typical people that you'll be, in, you'll be joining in the organization, it means that there's potential for um, Conflict. conflicts. So you never do. So you take it yes 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 and you double down on understanding culture and winning within the culture 
Uh-huh. Super important. Yeah, it, it takes a little bit of, of patience, but I felt like I would have accomplished even more if I would have understood that before because you spend you end up spending a lot of energy getting things done where you actually need people to all the people to rally behind you oh that's that's such an awesome uh, observation thank you for that i'll I'll need it eventually one day one day when i work there hopefully (laughs) uh just kind of to end you off i don't want to you know take more of your time uh just want to you know if you can kind of share um like an advice that you would give someone that's going into university uh, or coming out of university? Uh, like what should we, what should someone look for like in university and what should someone look for as a job, first job out of university, uh, if that makes sense. Like for me, for example, I was in school, like, I mean, in high school, I took it really seriously. Uh, my marks were really high. And then when I got to university, I realized that like a lot of a lot of stuff I was learning, I didn't ex- I, I didn't think that I was gonna learn that. I thought I was gonna learn more in depth business and like less less kind of like broad stuff that's not really applicable. Especially that I started working in business pretty early. Um, wow. I I got a little bit discouraged um, and I started focusing more on working out of school rather than actually school school. Uh, unlike in high school, and then I, I found that a lot of my friends are having a little bit of a problem out of school looking for a good job, a good start. So kind of solving two problems in one. So if you yeah. can kind of answer those two, if that's, if that's possible. There's, a, there's one thing from university that's not to be overlooked is the relationship that you're building there, the mm-hmm. friends that you're making. Um, some of them will still be there 25, 30 years later and be in different places and they will prove to be a good personal and, and business resources. So take care of your network the network that you're building now maintain that uh-huh. um, once you're out of university and you're looking for a career yeah make sure know yourself you know? yeah on your skills embrace your skills and what you love try to downplay what other people expect from you really go for owning in on your natural ability and, and, and doubling down on this by getting the experience within the organization. Uh-huh. Um, and once you're in that first job, don't let yourself boxed in into that um, mentality of just going through the rat race for what's my next title. And once I get to that title, what's the next one after, but go at least in the first five years, consider instead of focus on quick vertical, consider a, a bit of a horizontal of learning new skill set in different ways, only grounding your skill set and also discovering what you like and what you don't like. Um, my own career, like I've been in marketing and brand, it's like, it's a, it, you know, it's always, there's always yeah, it's, that one, two, three steps and you end up, I'm not alone in that, in that uh, situation. Most people who are getting there ambitious you're running for your your next promotion and then you get your promotion, you're happy and satisfied for six months. And then after that, it's all about, okay, what's the next step and when, how can I get the next step? Uh End up, you're not enjoying as much the journey as as you can. And you you get boxed in, you get a tunnel vision for that. Yeah. When I think I'm much older now and uh, when I went to startup world and I met other people starting their own thing, and in that world, there's people with all kinds of backgrounds and experiences. It was late in my life and career, but I, I, it was a realization for me that there's such a 
bigger world <laughs> than, I, yeah, no, than, my, than my little path tunnel vision and the obsession for the next step and the next move. And there's so many different things to do and skill set to acquire. Marketing, even marketing in my, just be staying in my field. When I discover about how marketing is done within startup and the new technology, it's so much broader than what I was accessing in CPG. Uh -huh. So uh, keep your eyes wide open, have a, like a 360 vision around what's going on and don't let yourself getting a tunnel vision about your career and minimize the impact of pe people's expectation, but stay connected with who you are and what you like. You feel it. You feel it when, when, when you're really doing something that's in line with what mm -hmm. you are and what you like. There's a, it's not going to be all easy of embrace the, embrace the failure, learn from the failure and then move on taking it at failure are as valuable as successes and you failure builds champions. Absolutely. And then that's another thing, even in my life early that I wasn't taking as much as, as I could from failure, I was hitting myself most of the time when I was fa failing at something. And I met someone who was telling me that he was like, he was like that and he changed completely. And it just, every failure was a pause from, okay, what am I learning from that? Yeah. So that is a gift and you need to carry that with you. Otherwise you get blinded, you hit yourself and you, you forget about it. You, it. you don't grow as much from it. It's not easy for most people to do sure. that, but that's important. It's all about trying to use, use the past to feed the present and the future. So that's yeah. kind of what I've done. And when you start to embrace the failure and learning and appreciating the learning, then you're, you get, you take more risk because you're not as fearful of failure. Yeah. You, you take more risk. You're getting more rewards from risk, potentially bigger, more, more failures and bigger failures, but more rewards also. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Speaker Society podcast. As always, please be sure to follow us on Instagram at the Speaker Society as well as on LinkedIn, where we do bi-weekly callouts for future episodes. Be well, stay safe, and have a nice day.